Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Today we are concluding our FAQ series, our Frequently Asked Questions About Christianity series, and today we come to what is probably the most deeply felt question. Why do the innocent suffer? And to help acclimate ourselves to that question, I want you to look at this video introduction. The most devastating attack since Pearl Harbor. People on the street gasped as each person was seen coming out of a window. There were thousands of people literally streaming toward me. The building came just rumbling down. It was like, like a war zone. I look around and all I see is pain. The kind of pain that makes me question why. Why would a God who loves us so allow such suffering and agony and woe? God, you are our great protector. You are our saving grace. But it doesn't feel like that when disaster strikes. It doesn't feel like that when the storms come. Why do you let them tear apart our communities, take our children, and rip apart our houses? But it's not just the tornadoes, the terrorist attacks, the tsunamis, the fires, and the terminal diseases. Why do you let husbands cheat on their wives, let drunken fathers beat their children, let men lie? Why, God? Why? The death toll climbs in Japan. The threat of more danger emerges. Cities have been swallowed. Thousands are dead. Explosions and fire have dangerous radiation levels fluctuating from high to low. God, you love us all. I'm sure of that. And I will follow you all of my life or I will come running back. You have a plan. You have a will. But it is just so hard to see that through all of the destruction. This helplessness is what leads us to ask the question, why? Why, Lord, do you let these things happen? Why do you leave us out to dry from bombings to divorces? What is the purpose of this when all we want is comfort, a kind of comfort that says everything is going to be fine and it won't leave you with tears streaming down your eyes? You never said that life was going to be easy. In fact, you said that we would be prosecuted in your name. But when do we get rewarded for having good faith? The side of the federal building has been blown off. The devastation at the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building uh, appears to be uh, almost uh, total. My daughter's one, and she's in there. You let mothers miscarry, hear their uncontrollable cries. You take our jobs and let our best friends die. In times like this, we see no light. In times like this, we have no hope. Even Moses proclaimed, I shout for help, but there is no justice. In the book of Job. I'm a seeker, you see, it's my title. You care for me deeply, it's written all over the Bible. But with tears of brokenness streaming down our faces, I still don't understand what this concept of grace is. You say you love us, and then life just gets tougher. So why do you let the innocent suffer? Why, God? Why? You say you love us and then life just gets tougher. Why do the innocent suffer? You know, no doubt, this is the most emotional and visceral question of our entire FAQ series. And it's a question that just won't go away. 
You know, there was a Barna poll done where they said, if you could ask God one question and you knew he would answer, what would you ask? And the number one reply was, why is there pain and suffering in the world? And in, embedded in this question, why do the innocent suffer, it, things like the problem of evil, uh, the issues of fairness and justice in the world. God, why would you make a world filled with suffering? Why do bad things happen to good people? Or why are evil people allowed to hurt other people? Why, God, don't you put an end now to all this if you are all-powerful? And I want you to know that this is a very holy subject today. Why do the innocent suffer? See, that is preceded by a parade of pain and suffering and confusion, and in front of that parade is a three-letter word in giant capital letters, why? Why do the innocent suffer? Why do you allow a more tornado or a Hurricane Katrina why do we have events like what Michelle Knight went through as the first of three victims of Ariel Castro in Cleveland who spent years being abused and tortured? Why is it just a few years ago there was a car wreck and 19-year-old Alicia Lane was killed and she was returning from an Ignite the Flame student rally and the hope of her life was to be a missionary to China? Why are we diagnosed with a fatal disease? As a husband said, he said, I lost my wife two and a half years ago. She was the picture of health. We were enjoying the greatest years of our marriage. Then she got cancer, and boom, she was gone. And I still struggle with the why. Why, God? Why was my sister, Laurie, molested at the age of five? Why, why was I diagnosed with cancer in 2001 instead of some child molester? This is really a very holy, holy subject we want to talk about today. And we know that there are some folks here today who are, who are right in the midst of suffering personally. And these issues of suffering and injustice and unfairness can breed sadness and confusion and bitterness and despair. You know, when you begin to think about all of this, you can understand why someone who's outside the family of God, like Woody Allen, would say this. The only thing you can say about God is that he's an underachiever. Now, I want to give you a little bit of a preview about where we're going to be going today. And by simply saying this, I do not claim to have all of the answers especially if you're here today and you are in the midst of, of suffering. And, and God doesn't give us all of the answers. But there are some principles that give us some insight. There is truth that God has revealed that enables us to gain some perspective. And I'm under no illusion that what we share today is going to meet everybody's emotional needs. We're going to cover a lot of ground. I mean, we are going to be moving out today as we tackle this subject. And we have put a link, by the way, to all of the slides you're going to see today on the city. So if you want to get all this information, you can simply check it out later and you'll have copies of all the slides. Now, when you talk about suffering, suffering actually falls into two basic categories. 
we could call one natural evil, suffering that comes from natural evil, and then suffering that comes from moral evil. Suffering that comes from natural evil would include things like storms and disease and, and even accidents that happen. And then suffering that comes from moral evil involves mayhem of all flavors that is perpetuated by people on other people. Now, it is important for us to note as we tackle this subject today that the last chapter of the history of the world has already been written. And in that last chapter to the history of the world is the end to suffering. If you have a Bible, I want you to open to the very last book of the Bible, which is the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter number 21. Revelation chapter 21. This is talking about the last chapter of the history of the world, and it includes an end to suffering. I, look, I want you to look at chapter 21 and verse 1, and I'm going to read these first five verses. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Verse 4, notice, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Now, our plan for the day is to look at three things. Number one, what is the source of evil and suffering? We need to take a little bit of time there. Number two, why doesn't God put an end to it? And then number three, what are the reasons for allowing it? Now, we're going to spend just a little bit of time on the first two and a little more time on the third one. What is the source of evil and suffering? This is the question of causation. And in order to really understand and answer that question, you have to go back to the book of beginnings in the Bible, which is the very first book, the book of Genesis. And if we go back there, we learn that God created man in the universe, and he said that it was good. But he also created man with the ability to follow God or the ability to reject God. In other words, he created mankind with the power of choice. And you remember the story from the book of beginnings that Adam and Eve took advantage of that choice and they chose rebellion. And when they rebelled against God, they introduced sin and death and evil into the universe. And that rebellion impacted the world of nature, it introduced difficulty and disaster into the realm of nature. And it not only impacted the world of nature, it infected humanity. And it put humanity on a path of disobedience and death characterized by suffering. 
What Adam and Eve chose to do introduced a veritable avalanche into humanity of hatred and hunger and disease and disasters and conflicts and wars and heartache. And their children and us and our children were born onto that path. One of my favorite political cartoons came many years ago out of the Minneapolis Star. It shows a picture of this guy, and it has the word man written on his shoulder, and he's looking into a mirror, and below him are these documents of war and pollution, and you could add in hatred, disease, and heartache, and he's looking into the mirror, and he says, aha, now I see the enemy. All of this tracks back to humanity and our choice of rebellion before God. That all comes from the book of beginnings. Now, multiple centuries later, this is what the apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verses 20 to 22. He says, the creation was subjected, he's talking about what happened back in the book of beginnings, was subjected to frustration, to bondage, to decay. And he goes on to give this description. He says, the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. The picture is the creation just writhing around right up to the present time. So when we said, what is the source of evil and suffering in our world and disaster and everything else, it ultimately tracks back to us as humanity. So here's the second issue. Why doesn't God put an end to it? Okay, that's the source of it, but why doesn't God put an end to it? You know, we say, God, why are you allowing it? Please end it soon. Stop the madness, God, please. And, and, you know, we need to realize that that has been a cry for centuries, for centuries. Habakkuk said this, and Habakkuk 1, verse 2, to the first part of verse 3. How long, O Lord, must I cry for help? But you do not listen. Violence. I cry, but you do not come to save. Notice just the humanity crying out here. Must I forever see the sin and misery all around me? Why are you allowing this is a cry that is common over the centuries. The psalmist said this in Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2. Oh, Lord, notice the similarity. How long will you forget me? I'm in the middle of this suffering forever. How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? This is a question that is commonly been cried out over the centuries. And do you know even Jesus did that? Jesus and his humanity on the cross? I don't know if you ever thought about it in this context. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you understand the suffering I'm right in the middle of? Why doesn't God put an end to it? Common question. Well, to do so would require 
the removal of the cause. To do so would require that God remove all sin from the face of the planet. Wouldn't it be interesting if we all at the same time got a text this morning on our phones and the text was from God and God said, I'm going to stop all suffering. I'm going to remove all sin from the planet at noon today. Well, if he did that, who, who would be left? We'd all be gone. And we might be gone to heaven, but if he's going to remove all sin from the face of the planet, he's got to get rid of every human being. And, and it's important for us to understand that there is a day coming when he will do that very thing. And you can look it up later, but in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 to 16, it describes the beginning of this process when the mighty lion of the tribe of Judah begins to step out of heaven. And that's the beginning of him taking care of this problem and getting rid of it. So we've looked very quickly at what is the source of evil and suffering we, we've answered the question, why doesn't he put an end to it? But the most important thing that we need to wrestle with today, this is the question that we want to have better answers to. What are the reasons for allowing it? What are the reasons for allowing suffering and disaster? I mean, why wasn't Adolf Hitler aborted? Why didn't, why didn't Stalin die of a childhood disease like several of my grandfather's siblings? Why do the, why do the good people seem to die early? Some pe good people, very good people die early. And why is it that some evil people seem to live very long? You ask some of those questions? And, and I think this is where a passage like Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9 can help us just a little bit. This is God speaking, and he says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We want to know why doesn't God put an end to all of this stuff? What is the reason for allowing these things? And God is basically saying, you know what? I'm just a tad bigger than you. God acts from the standpoint of eternity. We don't even understand that because we're just captive in this little slice we call time. Rather than acting from the standpoint of time, God acts from the standpoint of eternity, and his perspective is different than ours. I have just a little slide up there, and you see that there is a line, and it has arrows on either end of the line, and it has E on either end. They, that, those little E's stand for eternity. Now, I, I, in order to get the feel for this, you have to just use your imagination for a little bit. Imagine that this line 
The one side of the line extends all the way to Purcell. The other side of the line extends all the way to Oklahoma City. Now, you're getting the idea of the length of this great line. Well, that, line, that tiny little piece, that tiny little, little sliver right in the middle that has the letter T over it, that's time. And even the length of my life inside of that little tiny slice of time isn't very long. I mean, I really couldn't even put a, a line marker there because my life is not that long compared to all of time. But we use this illustration just to get a feel for, do you see how God is bigger than we are? And God sees the whole picture. He acts from the standpoint of eternity. What are the reasons for God allowing these things? Well, you know, there are some things that we know. There are some principles And there are some things that we don't know because God is way bigger than us. And we want to talk about some of the things that we know. And here's the first principle. Suffering and disasters, we know this, recalibrate our value system. And I want you to know, I I could testify multiple times to this. Suffering and disasters recalibrate our value system. Isn't it true when that happens to us in our life? It's like the scales fall off of our eyes. It's like someone gave us a new set of glasses. Suddenly, we see things more clearly. And when we go through suffering and disasters, one thing we learn freshly, people matter Things don't matter. You know, Jesus in Luke chapter 13, verse 4, talked about an event that happened in Jerusalem when the Tower of Siloam collapsed and fell and it killed 18 people. Now let's just emotionally go back to that event many centuries ago. I doubt anyone wept over the loss of bricks when the Tower of Siloam fell. But 18 families wept over the loss of a husband or the loss of a father or the loss of a sister or the loss of a brother. Suffering and disasters recalibrate our value system. In the wake of Hurricane Katrina, this is what Max Lucado Said, he said, no one laments a lost plasma television. No one runs through the street yelling, my cordless drill is missing. Or my golf clubs have washed away. He says, if they mourn, it is for people lost. And if they rejoice, it is for people found. You see, men and women, suffering and disasters recalibrate our value system. Second thing that we know, by way of a principle, suffering and disasters remind us of life's uncertainty. You know, in James 4, 14, James says, we don't know um, what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, I'm talking about leaving here and next weekend being in Idaho and the weekend after that being in California, but I don't really know that that's what's going to happen. 
We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Our, our life is like a morning fog. It's here for a little while, and then it's just, it's gone. And the truth is, for me and for every single one of us, death could be just around the next corner. I'll never forget the time. It was years and years ago, but when my dad was still alive, uh, we went shopping at this men's shop, and I was trying to buy a suit. And we got to the shop, oh, just a little while before it was fixed to close, and I had tried on several suits, and I was, I was really trying to figure out which one do I want to buy, and it was just closing time, and I was undecided. And so, actually, the owner himself was helping me, and, and I, I just said to him, you know what, I think I better just come back tomorrow. I'll come back in the morning, and we'll get this all straightened out, and I'll figure out what one I'm going to buy. And we showed back up the next morning, and the, the store was closed. It was scheduled to be open. There was a little sign on the door. The owner had died overnight. We just don't really know. Life is so uncertain, and our life is on loan from God, and our time here is temporary. And when we experience suffering, and when we experience difficulty, when we experience disasters, it just explodes that illusion that we have that life is permanent and that life is predictable. See, sufferings and, and disasters, one thing that they'll do for us is they'll remind us we, we ought to be a little prepared for our own demise because it's coming. A third thing we know, a third principle that we know is that suffering and disasters provide a preview of judgment to come. I mean, just think about some of these events that we see of tornadoes coming through and hurricanes hitting and so forth. You know, they're really temporary intensifications of the curse. Car wrecks, cancer, ALS, the severe storms of life. We feel like there's judgment falling on us, and it's just a reminder, a preview that, yes, for humanity, there is judgment to come. Judgment, from God's perspective, is just around the corner. These are some of the things that we know. Fourth principle, and I love this one, is that God brings good from sufferings and disasters. Please take your Bible and turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. It's on page 124 in the Bibles that are under the pew. Romans 8, 28. Familiar passage to most of us or many of us. But God brings good from sufferings and disasters. And it says this, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Boy, all things includes an awful lot of suffering and difficulty and disaster. He works all things together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And then turn a few pages to your left to Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and four, and it says, we also exult in our tribulations. That's the difficulties, the suffering that we go through, knowing that something good comes from it because tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. 
God, we know this, brings good from sufferings and disasters. Many of you have heard about the organization MAD, M-A-D-D, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And if my, if my facts are up to date, they have some 600 chapters across the United States of America. And MAD lobbies for legislation to protect people from drunk drivers. And MAD, over the years of its organization and some of the laws that it's seen changed, has no doubt prevented thousands and thousands of deaths in our country. But you may not know specifically that MAD was founded by Sidney Leitner, whose 13-year-old daughter was killed by a drunk driver as she was walking one evening to a school carnival. You see, God brings good from sufferings and disaster. You've heard about America's Most Wanted, founded by John Walsh, and he has lobbied for years for legislation to prevent and help to protect children. And I just checked their website, and they now say that they have helped to capture 1,202 fugitives since they have been operating as an organization. Some of you may be too young to remember, though, that John Walsh got started in this process because his six-year-old son was abducted from a shopping mall and found brutally, brutally murdered 16 days later. God brings good from suffering and disaster. I mentioned my sister, Lori Koff, and um, her story of, of really being abused at the age of five and, and some of the ramifications of that in her life. But she is turning that around and using that to encourage other people and give people for hope on what can happen on the other side of an event like that. And if you go to familylife.com, and you search for the article, Inside the Mind of a Prodigal, you can read my, my sister's story. God brings good from suffering and disaster. And then there's, there's one final thing I want to point out that we, we know, and it's a principle, number five. And that is, God is graciously delaying judgment so that more might be rescued. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise. And that is, he's going to come again, and he's going to straighten everything out. He's not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God is graciously delaying judgment so that more might be rescued. And sometimes we think, you know, that sounds like a good biblical principle, but I don't really know if that's true. But when you begin to look at the facts, I think it is. Operation World, which some facts that they, they uh, developed out of the book Perspectives said this. This is fascinating to me. You take the continent of Africa, and the, in the year 1900, there were 8 million Christians in Africa. But what if God just says, I'm going to end it all right there? 
Well, in the year 2000 in Africa, 351 million Christians. You take the continent of Asia in 1900, 22 million Christians. In 2005, 370 million Christians in Asia. Latin America in 1900, three quarters of a million believers. In the year 2000, 55 million. In 100 years of God being patient, gone from 31 million believers in those three localities to 776 million. You know, when I look at numbers like that and facts like that, it reminds me of of what God said to Habakkuk in chapter 1, verse 5. Look around at the nations. Look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day. Now, see, when we're in the middle of all of this stuff, when we're stuck in time, when, we're, when suffering's happening to us, it's very hard for us to look at everything from the eternal perspective that God has a plan. So there are some things that we know, but especially if you're, if you're in the midst of suffering and even pain right now, that's not necessarily that satisfying. I mean, there's no illusion that what I'm sharing today is going to meet all the emotional needs that we may have. There are some things that we know, but there are so, also some things that we don't know. And what we really don't know are all the specifics just as, as I just illustrated the potentiality, why does he allow me to be suffering here? Well, he may have an eternal plan. He does have an eternal plan. There's something going on. We just don't know the specifics. And so what we need to do is have faith in him as the ultimate architect of all this thing. We need to have faith in his blueprints, that his blueprints are the best possible blueprints. We need to have faith that he will give meaning to the madness one day. You know what? I believe that God is more inscrutable than we can ever imagine or think. And I think Paul really stressed that in Romans eleven thirty three. He said there, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. You know, it's like you could pile it to the moon. That's the depth of his wisdom and his knowledge. And he goes on to say, How unsearchable are his judgments, the decisions that he makes. Do you notice he says it's more than hard for us to understand that? He says it's unreachable. We can't get there. How unfathomable his ways. It's more than just challenging to understand the ways that he does things. He's basically saying it's impossible to understand the way that he does things. I really resonate with John Stackhouse He wrote this, he says, the God of predestination, the God of worldwide providence, the God who created all and sustains all and thus is ultimately responsible for all, this God has revealed to us only glimpses of the divine cosmic plan. God has not let us see in any comprehensive way the sense in suffering, the method in the madness. God has chosen instead to remain hidden in Mystery And part of the reason why, men and women, is just the gap is so big. And so often, here's what we tend to do. So often, we tend to focus on what perplexes us, which is really the why. 
And what we really need to do when we're in the midst of suffering and difficulty and disaster is have a fresh focus on what reassures us, and that is the who. No doubt you've had this thought, where's God's love in all of this? And what God does is God points to the cross. And the cross is a manifestation of love so profound that it can deflate our doubts. What is amazing is that Jesus stepped into our suffering. Remember what it says in Isaiah 53? That he was despised and rejected by mankind. Verses 3 to 5. He was a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, and yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Peter Kreeft captures the essence of this so well. He says, Jesus is there sitting beside us in the lowest places of our lives. Are we broken? He was broken like bread for us. Are we despised? He was despised and rejected of men. Do we cry out that we can't take any more? He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Do people betray us? He was sold out himself. Are our tenderest relationships broken? He too loved and was rejected. Do people turn from us? They hid their faces from him as from a leper. And I could add, he was abused and mercilessly, mercilessly mistreated. The starting reality, men and women, is on the cross. Jesus fully ingested, think about this, all the pain and all the agony of this world for all time. And he deeply experienced it and he suffered for it to deliver us from eternal consequences. And how could I not trust someone who went so far for me? Where is God's love in all of this? The cross is the ultimate proof of the Heavenly Father's love for us. Now, I want to say this. Delayed justice is not denied justice. Jesus is coming again. And as it says in Acts 17, 31, he has set a day in which he will judge the world with justice. He is going to deal with all of this stuff. And every injustice will be addressed. And every act of suffering that you go through or I go through will be clarified. But the ultimate answer to why is found in the who. I want to call up the worship team because we're going to sing a closing song. I want to get ready for that. But when we win, men and women, we find ourselves pondering the question, where is God's love in all of this? We need to remember that the cross is the ultimate proof 
of the heavenly Father's deep, deep love for us. Let's just pray together. Father, especially when we're in the midst of pain and suffering, some of these thoughts and some of these perspectives and some of these principles help a little bit, but they don't help it all go away. But may we just simply throw ourselves into a complete embrace with the who. And we think of the cross and everything that Jesus went through. We'll never even begin to understand the suffering, the pain, the ugliness that he experienced for us to deliver us and to earn us a place in the family of God. We just thank you for your love. We thank you for the opportunity to praise you for your love. And we do that right now. In Jesus' name.